Normally in the days between Christmas and New Year's, it's a, it's a time where we think about the previous year and maybe make plans for the year ahead. I'm not sure if, if you guys do that, but many people make New Year's resolutions and set goals for the upcoming year. And most years on the, the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's, I'll, I'll probably preach something to challenge you or to encourage you for the upcoming year. And last week, as you know, I, I planned to do that, but I, I changed my mind. I, I changed the message and I, I brought you that message on running the race with endurance. And so what I'm going to do today is I want to preach what was going to be the New Year's message. And, and really, we're only three days into the new year here. So what I thought last week, and again this week, as we were doing the, the marriage series, that one of the best things that we could do this year to honor is to honor God in our marriages. And so I want to continue our series on marriage. This is the sixth sermon on marriage, and this is part two of what I had called the thriving marriage. In part one, we looked at dealing with conflict in marriage. A God-glorifying marriage is one in which both partners deal with conflict biblically. Conflict is sure to happen, but, but there's nothing wrong with conflict per se. The, the problem is, is in how we deal with it. Not all conflict is sinful, right? I, I can want something that is different than Jody wants, and that's fine. As long as we graciously discuss it and work it out, we can honor God with our differences. And so we talked about living gracefully with one another, being gracious, overlooking offenses, recognizing that, that we are all married to another sinner if you're married. We talked about confessing thoroughly, confessing our sins to one another. We are sinners and therefore we sin against one another. And what do we do when we sin against our spouse? We're, we're to ask for forgiveness. We're to confess our sin and ask for forgiveness. And finally, last time we talked about forgiving fully, what it means to forgive. The thriving marriage is one in which there is free and full forgiveness, where we forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave us. And so the first three encouragements that we looked at last time we were in this series was live gracefully, confess thoroughly, and forgive fully. And these again all dealt with conflict management. And the next five encouragements that we want to look at today deal with the other main areas of marriage difficulty. What are the primary areas where couples struggle in their marriages? I would say, first of all, it's conflict, which we talked about already. Then the idea of what the purpose of marriage is, understanding the, the purpose of marriage, understanding our roles, and how men are to lead and women are to submit to the loving leadership of their husbands. Communication is another area where marriages often have difficulty finances, intimacy, and raising kids. And so today I want to look at the next five encouragements for a thriving marriage. The next five encouragements for a thriving marriage. Brothers and sisters, marriage is our closest personal relationship. Right, The, the person that you are married to, that is to be your closest human relationship. 
And if our marriages aren't good, then what can we say? The, the, closest, the closest relationship that we have isn't good. And if our closest relationship isn't good, then we, then we, can, then we can't move outside of that to be a blessing to others. And if our closest relationship is good, then we can. We can move outside and we can, as a couple together, bless other people. And so it's important that we honor God in our relationships and especially in the marriage relationship. And for those of you who aren't married, I just want to remind you that, that most of these things that we're going to talk about today still apply to you, right? They're, these are things that are applicable in, in all of our relationships for the most part. And, and if you're one day going to be married, then these are important things for you as well. You know, God wants us to honor Him in how we interact with one another. If you just think about all the commandments in the New Testament, the majority of them involve how we relate to others. Christianity is a relational religion, if we could say it that way. It's, it's very important in Christianity that we honor those that have been created and made in the image of God. And so we're going to look at these five, well, there's eight of them, but we're going to look at today just the five encouragements for a thriving marriage. And so we're going to start over at number one. And the first encouragement for a thriving marriage that I want to bring to you th this afternoon is number one, we, we're to function unitedly in our marriages. We're to function unitedly. We're to function together. We're, gonna, we're, we're to work together as a team in marriage. One of the biggest troubles in marriage is when a couple doesn't function in their roles the way that God intended. Right? God designed men to lead and He designed women to help. And that doesn't mean that men are better than women or that men are more valuable than women. It just means that that's how God designed us to function. And what happens when something is used contrary to its design? Imagine if I tried to tow a loaded trailer with my little Nissan family car. Or what if I took a, a, tried to pick up a load of two-by-fours with a motorbike? Right? When, when we use something in a way that it wasn't designed to function, that's when we get into trouble. People wonder why they have marriage problems when they're trying to operate contrary to the way that God designed. You can't make waffles on a frying pan. And you can't shovel your driveway with a fork, right? Things are, are made to be used in a certain way. And when we try to use something in a way for which it wasn't intended, that's when things don't work. And God designed marriage to be one man and one woman. And He designed the man to be the leader, the head of the home. And He designed the woman to be a helper, to be led, and to submit to her husband, to come under the leadership and authority of her husband. And we talked about this already in the series, but I just need to say it again. Men, you need to lead your families. You are called to lead your families. You need to lead by example. You need to lead spiritually. You need to take responsibility for what happens in your families. You can and you should listen to your wife. But recognize that whatever you do, whatever you decide to do, you bear the responsibility for the home before God. 
And wives, you are called to make yourselves submissives to your husbands. You don't follow them into sin, but otherwise you're to come under the leadership of your husband. Don't just tell him what you're going to do. Ask him about it. Offer your gifts and service. Ask him how he thinks that you can best serve together. And if there's something that you would like to see done in the family differently, don't just do it. Let your husband lead. Make suggestions. Offer help. But let him lead and respect his respect him and his position as the head of the home. Wives, you're to see your submission to your husband as submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, brothers and sisters, if, if we don't function this way, the way that God intended, we are fighting against God's design in our marriages. Now, how do you fix this if you haven't been operating this way? What, what is a couple supposed to do if they've been kind of doing things backwards? Let's imagine a, a passive husband and a, a wife who has taken the lead. How do they change the way they've been doing things? It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take some time. And I, I think what it will take is a, a lot of communication, a lot of checking in with each other, a lot of patience and humility. But the change must be done. And because communication is the next key for a thriving marriage, let's just go right into that. If, if you want to change in this way, it's going to take a lot of communication. And that's the second encouragement for a thriving marriage today. That's number two, communicate effectively. If you're going to have a thriving marriage, you need to communicate effectively. For a couple to function as one flesh, they need to communicate, right? We can't read one another's minds. This is really just so basic, but it's so important too. Amos 3, 3 says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? The two walk together unless they have agreed to meet. And that's a, a simple rhetorical question. Two people can't walk together unless they've agreed to do so, unless they've kind of agreed to meet and then to walk together at the same pace. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? Right? Who knows a person's thoughts except that person themselves? We don't know what someone else is thinking. And so to walk together, we need to agree. Therefore, we need to talk to one another so that we can walk together as one. Now, I can't imagine anyone disagreeing in principle with that, right? Everyone agrees we need to communicate if we're going to work together as one. If we're going to live together as one flesh, we need to talk. But in practice, we often don't communicate. And I, I'm just like, I'm just right here with you guys. I, you know, I'm, I'm, Jody and I are, are right here working on our marriage just together with you guys. But communication is so important for a healthy marriage. Now, I, I think I've observed a way in which men and women handle this kind of similarly and yet slightly differently. And so women, we're going to start with you. Ladies, you have, at least in my observation, you have a remarkable ability to guess what another person might be feeling or thinking. 
You know how you would feel and what you would think in a similar situation. But you need to be careful about this because you don't actually know with certainty unless you ask another person. Unless you ask somebody, what are they thinking? Nobody knows the, the spirit of a per, the, the thoughts of a person except the spirit of that person which is in them. And what I've seen sometimes, ladies, is that you think your husband has the same ability that you do. You think that he knows how you feel or that he should know how you feel. Now let me just tell you something, ladies. He has no idea how you feel unless you tell him. He, he literally has no clue what you are thinking. No clue. If he senses that maybe you're upset about something... Um, if he senses that, and that's a big if, if he senses that, if he does sense that you're upset about something, without you telling him, he probably has no idea what you might be upset about unless you tell him, unless you communicate. You might think he should know because you would know, right? You would know. He should know. He doesn't know. You gotta, you gotta tell him. You gotta communicate with him. He doesn't know. And, it, and, or you might think, if he really loved me, then he would know. But he doesn't know and he really can't know unless you tell him what's going on. Now, can, can I just get like an amen that for maybe from some brave soul man out there? I, I think that this is a, a common situation that happens with, with ladies. Ladies, we just, we don't know. Maybe we could learn to know, but we won't learn unless you start telling us what's going on, how you're thinking, how you're feeling. We need communication. Now, now, men, you have a remarkable ability as well. And I, I know this one a little better because I, I am a man. And we have a remarkable ability to have no clue what's going on. Men, men we have a remarkable ability to do this. You just ask the average man, how's your marriage going? How's your marriage going? And he's probably going to say, good, good. So long as there hasn't been a major argument in the past week, most men are going to say, marriage is going good, maybe even great. Now, if you ask that same man who just told you that his marriage was going good, what his wife would say about how the marriage is going, guess what? He's probably has no clue what his wife would say about how the marriage is going. He has, he doesn't know what his wife would say. Now, I think generally speaking, men don't expect their wives to know what they're thinking. We just, we just, we don't have that expectation, right? We don't expect women, our wives to know what we're thinking. The problem is with, with us men is most often that doesn't actually translate into communicating something to our wives, right? We know that they have no idea what we're thinking, but we don't tell them what we're thinking. And so we don't communicate. Now, obviously, all of this non-communication doesn't work well for our marriages. How can a husband and a wife serve together as one if they don't know what the other thinks? How can they be on the same page? How can they operate together in a united way if they have no idea what the other one is thinking? 
And whenever I do marriage counseling, with, when I do it with both the husband and the wife, when, when, I, when I do some kind of counseling with them together, there's almost inevitably a, a moment or m- multiple moments where, where the one spouse shares what's been going on, right? The, I got them together and I'm, what's going on? Well, one of them shares what's, what's going on in their opinion, in, in, in their experience. And after he or she is finished, I hear the other one say that they had no idea that those things were upsetting their spouse. It's almost inevitable that that happens. The one spouse shares what's going on and the other one says, I didn't know that that bothered you. I didn't know that that was a problem. I didn't know that that you didn't like that. And then it goes the other way and the other one shares and then the other one, I didn't know because we don't communicate. And so when the other person doesn't know what's bothering you, listen, when the other, when your spouse doesn't know something that is bothering you in your marriage, they can't change. There's no chance of changing that thing. And so how can we promote good communication in our marriages and in our lives? What can we do to, to fix this difficulty? How can we encourage to communicate well, communicate uh, effectively? Well, let's work backwards from this one. What stifles communication? Just think about that in your own life. What stifles communication? What hinders you from sharing something with your spouse? What keeps you from being open and honest about what you are thinking, feeling, or maybe even struggling with? Now, one of the things, and there could be multiple things, but one of the things that would would hinder communication is our, our own pride or attempts to cover our sin, attempts to cover your sin, right? When, when you are trying to, to cover a sin from your spouse, that's going to stifle communication. If you're trying to cover sin in your life from your spouse, you will hinder your communication and you and your spouse won't function the way that God intended. We should share in our fight against sin. We should fight together against sin in our marriages. And so that's kind of on the, on the one side. That, that's kind of on, maybe on your side of the equation. Your pride, your attempt to cover sin could be hindering communication with your spouse. Now, what would keep you from sharing with your spouse or 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 what would what would keep sorry what would keep your spouse from sharing with you and i think the most common answer would be some kind of fear people are afraid to communicate openly and honestly if they think they'll be laughed at if they think they'll be mocked if they think that they won't be listened to or if they think that they will be attacked and so we need to ensure, if in order to promote good communication, we need to ensure that there's safety to share in our homes. It would probably be good to ask your husband or your wife if they feel safe to talk with you about anything. And if not, you need to change that right away. There needs to be a safe atmosphere so that we can communicate with one another. We need to get rid of anything that hinders open and honest communication. And once we have openness and honesty, we need to be careful about being too open or too honest. There's certain things that Scripture warns us about. And I think I'll just read these for you. Ephesians 4.29, listen to this. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And so there's certain things that that God tells us should not come out of our mouths. No corrupting talk. The only talk that should come out of our mouths is such things as is good for building up, things that fit the occasion, and things that may give grace to those who hear. Or listen to Proverbs 10.11, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Out of our mouths should come encouraging things that, that are a fountain of life to our spouse. Psalm 37 verse 30 says, The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart, he steps, his steps do not slip. And so there should be wisdom and justice coming out of our mouths. We need, we need to edify and build one another up with our mouths. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't address sin in one another's lives. We talked about that last time. It just means that we are, we are thoughtful about what we say, right? We, we're to be open and honest with one another, but at the same time, we need to be thoughtful and encouraging and building up in what we say. Wayne Mack, in his book, Strengthening Your Marriage, a great little biblical counseling book, Strengthening Your Marriage, he had some great questions to guide godly communication. And I don't know if you'll be able to get these, but um, you can always get them from me later. But he he asks a number of questions that we should ask ourselves before we share something with our spouse. He asks, number one, is it really true? Do I have all the facts? When I'm going to share something with my spouse, is it really true? Do I, do I have the facts? If you don't, then maybe you need to ask more questions about what's going on. Secondly, he says, is what I would like to say profitable? Will it help or hurt? Be constructive or destructive? Thirdly, is this the proper time for me to say it? Or would it be better for me to wait? Sometimes there's a, a right time to say something and there's a wrong time to say something. And we need to think, is this the best time to say this thing, that I, the, to share this thing, to be open about this thing? Another question, number four, is my attitude right? Is my attitude right? Am I, am I sharing this in anger and frustration or am I, if, am I gonna speak with, with a, a godly and right attitude about this thing? Number five, are the words that I will use the best possible way of saying it? That's a great question. Are the words that I will use, are the words that I will use the best possible way of saying it? And then I think it's number six. Have I prayed about this matter and am I trusting God to help me? Have I prayed about this matter and am I trusting God to help me? These questions, if you think about them, they're a form of self-control. And good and, and godly communication requires self-control. There needs to be a safe place for communication. Communication should be edifying. And next, communication requires listening. This is an important one. Communication is a, a two-way street. Talking and listening. Listening is at least half of good communication. Listening and understanding. We need to be interested in what the other person has to say. We need to hear what they are saying and understand what they are saying. 
We need to make sure the other person in a communication understands what we're saying. And sometimes it's good practice to have the other person repeat back to us what we said, or to try to repeat back what you understood them to be saying. And that, that helps us to, under, to ensure that we are understanding one another. And so communication requires a safe place for communication. It requires openness and and honesty with one another. But yet there should be some self-control in our communication. It should be edifying. It should be done in a, a godly and righteous way. And it requires us to listen to one another, to really understand one another before we we move on with something. And so with that, let's move from communication to finances. One of the other major difficulties in marriages is is differences in how a couple views finances, how a couple views money. And so the third encouragement for a thriving marriage is number three, steward wisely. Steward wisely. A steward in biblical times was somebody who managed his master's estate. A steward was not the owner, but he had the authority to make decisions on behalf of the owner. The steward managed everything. He, he managed the servants, the land, the farming, the income, the expenses. He managed everything that belonged to his master. And that's exactly what we are. We are not owners. We are stewards, right? We, we don't own anything, but we manage what the Lord has given us. God is the one who owns everything. God owns us and he owns the world. He owns everything that is in this world. And we manage what he has given to us. We manage our talents. We manage our skills and abilities our resources, our opportunities, all of those things come from Him. And we manage it all for Him. And one day we will give an account of our management. A biblical view of finances requires that everything that we have, or sorry, a biblical view of finances recognizes that everything that we have belongs to God and that we are caretakers of what belongs to Him. And when we realize this, it has the potential to change everything. Your money is not your money. My money is not my money. I manage it for God. We, we manage it for God together. Your husband and wife team manage what God has given them together. And with that, we, read, we need to realize what Scripture teaches, that there are many things that are more important than gold. There's many things in life that are more important than money. For example, Jesus said in Luke 12.15, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Proverbs 15.16 says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble without it. It's better to have a little bit in the fear of the Lord than have great treasure without the fear of the Lord. The next verse says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. There's many things in this life that are are better than money, more important than money. Proverbs 16 verse 8 says, Better is a little with righteousness than great revenue with injustice. Again, in the words of our Lord, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world 
and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Our soul is more important than money. And again, Matthew 6.24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so money, which we are to steward for God, it's not meant to be our master. Money is not God. right? Money uh, can't ultimately satisfy us. Money's not going to ultimately please us and, and make us happy. We need money to live, but we, we must trust God. Our trust must be in God. We should rely on God to provide our needs. And when we trust ourselves, that's when worry and anxiety come in. When we, when we take those things upon ourselves, when we think of money as ours and we're no longer thinking of ourselves as stewards of what God has given us and we take it into our own hands, that's when worry and anxiety come in. We need to, to trust our needs to the Lord and depend on Him. We're called by Scripture to, to work hard. We're called to do our best and depend on the Lord to provide. We don't depend on ourselves, on our work, on, on, on our efforts. We, we do our best. We work hard for the Lord and we trust Him to provide our needs. Another part of stewarding, stewarding wisely is that Scripture teaches that we should not spend more than we make. So if we're going to steward wisely, if we're going to handle our finances in a way that glorifies God and, and, and has a, a, and we have a thriving marriage, then we need to make sure that we don't spend more money than we make. The, the Bible teaches we should avoid debt. Certain amounts of, of debt are allowed in Scripture, but the general principle is that we should avoid debt whenever possible. Romans 13 verse 7 says, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. But just catch that. We're we're to pay all of what is owed and we're to owe no one anything except to love each other. Now, the way to keep out of debt is to know how much money comes in and how much money goes out. And be careful not to spend more than you make. Now, to manage that, both partners need to be on the same page. Some to to be on the same page in their finances. Some couples, some families make detailed budgets. Others don't find budgets that helpful. You're, You're free to do whatever works for you and your spouse. And for a couple then to glorify God in their marriage, they need to be one in how they steward the resources that God has entrusted to them. The fourth encouragement then for a thriving marriage is something that needs to be discussed at at some point in, in every marriage series. And this is number four. I called it enjoy intimacy. And I, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, and and turn with me to verse 4. 
Hebrews 13.4, it says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Listen to the, the New American Standard of this same verse. It says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. And there's a contrast here between fornication and adultery on the one hand and marriage on the other. Marriage should be held in honor among all. And it's literally there, marriage is honorable among all. And the next part is, and the bed undefiled. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed is undefiled. The bed is a a polite way to refer to physical intimacy in marriage. And unlike fornication or adultery, which God will judge, intimacy in marriage is honorable and undefiled. This verse, I I would take it not to be so much a command not to defile the marriage bed. It's telling us that the marriage bed is undefiled. In other words, it is pure. This word undefiled is used of Christ just a few chapters earlier. Look at Look at Hebrews 7:26. It says for it is it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Now that word unstained, holy, innocent, unstained. Unstained is the same word as undefiled that we just looked at in 13.4. Christ is undefiled, unstained, and, and so is physical intimacy in marriage. The one flesh union of a husband and a wife is part of God's good creation. And sometimes because of the way that our world misuses and misrepresents God's good design, we can think unbiblically here. We can, we can kind of be, be taken away with the world and, and, and view things in an unbiblical way. See, God designed physical intimacy to be a pleasurable, God-glorifying, good expression of the love between a husband and his wife. It's holy. It's undefiled. It's spiritual. It was designed to be enjoyed by both partners as part of God's good creation. And like all good things that God has freely given us to enjoy, we should be careful not to make too much of it or too little of it. The marriage bed is not ultimate. Just like I said, money is not ultimate. Money is not ultimately satisfying. Neither is intimacy in marriage. It's not ultimate. It's not God. We shouldn't look there for ultimate satisfaction in life, which is really where the world often looks for pleasure and enjoyment in life. The world has sinfully elevated intimacy into an ultimate source of pleasure, and that's a lie. True satisfaction in this world comes from knowing God. Now on the other hand, God has given the married couple this avenue of expressing love to each other, and it's a good gift from Him that should be enjoyed as such. Scripture even goes so far as to command a married couple not to withhold this from one another. And I want you to just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 
for this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we can, we can start in verse 1. Paul says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control." Now, you know, this whole context is is fitting, but I want you to note, especially verse 5, do not deprive one another. And if you do, it should be agreed upon and it should only be for a short time. The husband and the wife belong to each other. Proverbs 5.18 says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Enjoyment in this area, as Paul says, and as as Proverbs 5 says, is a, a means of protection against temptation. And what Proverbs calls the adulterous woman. Verse 20 of Proverbs 5 says, Just continuing on, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline and because of his great folly, he is led astray." And so this is serious stuff. And, and in marriage, men and women both, we need to beware of sin in this area. According to Proverbs 5, it, it ensnares. It holds us fast like strong ropes. It leads us astray and it even brings death. And there's the warning here that God sees all of our ways. Now most often when a couple struggles in this area, it's a sign of a a problem in another area. This is kind of like a a check engine light on your car, but for your marriage. And if you're not doing well in this area, if you're not enjoying intimacy together the way God intended as part of His good gift, then it's likely that there's a problem in other areas that needs to be addressed. A thriving marriage is one in which both partners enjoy intimacy And finally, a thriving marriage is one in which the husband and wife glorify God. And that's number five, glorify God. The fifth encouragement for a thriving marriage. And we've talked about this a lot in this series already, but this is important for a good marriage. To really succeed in marriage, we need to look above the marriage to God Himself. Something greater than marriage needs to motivate our hearts. Marriage is a wonderful blessing designed by God for our good, but because of sin, marriage isn't always easy. Think about it. Everything we've covered in this two-part series has been marred by sin. 
We don't handle conflict well because of sin. Much of the conflict we have is directly the result of sin. We don't accept or function according to our roles because of sin. We don't communicate effectively because of sin. We fight about finances because of sin. We get into financial difficulty because of sin. Intimacy breaks down because of sin. Other forbidden avenues for pleasure are pursued because of sin. Sin wrecks everything and it makes, makes marriage hard. And so what's going to pull us through the difficulty and help us to put, to put in the work that's necessary to have a thriving marriage? If marriage itself is hard, we need something above the marriage. And that is the desire to honor and glorify God. This is where a truly Christian marriage has a huge advantage over a non-Christian marriage. What keeps a non-Christian marriage together when the marriage gets tough? Now, I couldn't guess every motive, but, but I would ha- it would have to be things like, like these. The, the shame of getting a divorce. Or the, the, the fear of losing friends if a divorce happened, if, if the marriage broke apart. Maybe loss of financial security, a, a desire not to fail in marriage. What will people think if, if we fail in this marriage? The, maybe the, the fear of making it in life alone or things like that, right? At the, at the center of life for the non-Christian is self. Everything in the non-Christian's life, they, it can only be done for themselves. There's no higher th- aim that they're, they're reaching for and looking for. And we can live like that too as believers. We can, we can kind of live like a non-Christian in, in this area, but we should have a much higher motivation in everything that we do. Everything that we do should be done for the highest motive of honoring God. Everything we do should be done to show how great and awesome and good our God is. Everything we do should be worship towards our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And marriage gives us so many opportunities to worship God. Responding with kindness can be an act of worship. Serving your spouse can be an act of worship. Sharing your thoughts, communicating can be an act of worship. Agreeing on how to steward your resources can be an act of worship. Enjoying intimacy unselfishly can be an act of worship. Everything in marriage and really everything in life can be done to glorify God. But I especially want you to remember that marriage between a husband and a wife was designed by God to display the covenant-keeping love between Christ and His bride, the church. Husbands, when you love your wives and wives, when you submit to your husbands, you declare the glory of Christ. Your marriage is a picture of the Gospel for all to see. Therefore, let your marriage tell the truth about the glory of Christ. Husbands, love your wife and, 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 and let, sorry, husbands, let your love for your wife tell the truth about Christ's love for the church. And wives, let your submission to your husbands tell the truth about the joy of being under Christ's leadership. These are the encouragements for a thriving marriage. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank You for this extended period of time that we could look at marriage. Thank You for the way that You have designed marriage to glorify Yourself. And we just ask that You would help us, Father, 
Help us to glorify you in our marriages. Help us to to communicate, to to serve together as one by by functioning according to our roles. Help us to steward our, our finances well for your glory. Help us to enjoy intimacy as a good gift from you and help us to glorify you in our marriages. We, we pray it, Lord, not so much for ourselves, but we pray it for you that you might be honored in our lives and shown to be a good and great God, the God that you truly are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.